Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure off-site backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is on the air for this Monday, January the 29th of 2024. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thank you so much for joining me here on WSBT Radio, WSBTradio.com the free WSBT radio app and the video feed on the Twitch app. Two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming your way tonight. An eventful weekend to say the least. Notre Dame women's basketball, a massive road victory, but some of the spotlight stolen away. We'll talk about that coming up. The NFL playoffs down to the final two and the Detroit Lions. The heartache of that fan base. You're sitting at halftime thinking, we're going to the Super Bowl. And it feels like they still should be thinking that, but it did not work out as the 49ers came roaring back with a lot of questionable decisions and mistakes made by that Lion football team. We'll have a conversation about that. Coming up, we've got our Twitter question of the day to get to the top five storylines of the weekend. We'll recap what happened in area high school boys basketball the last couple of days in the 6 o'clock hour. We have our sports wagering segment to get to, and we've got a conversation with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter, and that is Tyler Horka. We're going to talk about a couple of things with Tyler. He has been spending a lot of time reviewing every single Riley Leonard start as the quarterback for Duke. Trying to give you an idea what to expect when Riley Leonard puts on that Notre Dame helmet during spring practice and ultimately game number one at Texas A&M on August the 31st right here on WSBT Radio. So we'll talk Irish football with Tyler and we'll get his thoughts on the Irish win over UConn and Olivia Miles speaking out all of a sudden on her injury. So we'll talk to Tyler 
at the bottom of the hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's get to our hat trick of opening topics. And topic number one, stealing a bit of the spotlight. On a night in which Notre Dame women's basketball is celebrating a dramatic and dominating victory on the road against the premier women's college basketball program the last 30 years, the UConn Huskies. I mean, they closed out that game in dominating fashion. The Irish took down the Lady Huskies 82-67. to The whole postgame should have been on this team coming back from losing on their home floor to Syracuse by double digits when they couldn't play a strong fourth quarter against the Orange. Just the opposite happened up in Connecticut. They put away the Huskies with a terrific fourth quarter, and I think it's fair to say Niel Ivey's biggest victory since becoming Notre Dame women's basketball coach. Credit to Niel, her staff, and the players for a wonderfully played game. And I got to be honest, after the Syracuse game, I was kind of thinking, well, this might be a two-game losing streak, but forget about that. A 15-point win at UConn. I wonder how many times that has happened the last 30 years. It's got to be on one hand, right? You would think so. But the Irish through the years, since they broke through, they've had a lot of success against UConn, honestly, as much as anybody in the country. So this is just an awesome victory for the team. But during the broadcast on Fox, all of a sudden we find out, out of the blue, that guard Olivia Miles is not going to play the rest of the year. Now let's take you back, if you don't remember the story, end of the regular season last year, suffered a knee injury. We really don't know the extent of the injury, but she had a lower body injury, as we would say in the hockey world. Fast forward to the start of the year. She told the media that she felt like there was a good chance she could come back for the opening game right around November 6th. Well, it's now January 29th, and we have not seen Olivia on the floor. Now, the local media has done their job each and every time that they've had the chance to talk to Coach Ivy, asked about injuries, and let's be honest, beyond Olivia, there's been a lot of injuries to ask about. And unfortunately, Coach Ivy has to answer all these questions about injuries, and she has been very consistent through the whole process She is not updated on injuries. We all have to keep in mind the players have the option to keep their privacy and not tell the injuries themselves or ask the coach not to discuss injuries with anyone. That is within everyone's right. I think we all understand that. Totally fine with that. So, Coach Ivy's gone above and beyond her duty to protect Miles' wishes. And by not answering, this is my opinion, let me say this, this is my opinion. By not answering questions about Miles, I don't really feel like she can go ahead and say, well, Citron has this. I mean, you could, but 
Then it looks kind of bad that she can tell about every injury except Miles. So it puts her in a really, really difficult spot, and she's handled it beautifully throughout the year. She's been very consistent with her answers about injuries, and I think she's done a really nice job of protecting people's wishes. So then all of a sudden we find out during the game that Olivia has told the Fox broadcast team that she's not going to play this year. After the game, Niel gets asked about it, and I don't know if anyone told her going into the press conference, but it kind of felt like she was blindsided by the news that she's got to go back to talk to Olivia about where we are and talking about this injury. So on a night in which it should be all about the team winning, Niel had to answer that question, and that's disappointing. Media did their job. They had to ask it because it was brought up in the Fox broadcast. I mean, this is a premier college basketball player and we've all been wondering if and when she's going to come back but I just kind of feel like the way Neil has handled this whole thing the whole year so beautifully that Olivia owed it to Neil to tell Neil okay let's go and announce I'm not going to play this year so after all the things Neil has done to protect her wishes then she tells Fox, and on the night in which Notre Dame is playing on primetime national TV, picking up their biggest win in some time, and this is when we decide to pass along the information. That's not fair to Niel. That's not fair to the rest of the basketball team. Niel was put in a horrible situation after that game. It just It's odd timing, especially with her replacement, Hannah Hidalgo being now one of the hottest names in women's college basketball. This freshman is dominating college basketball. Another 30-point game from Hidalgo. I mean, every week she wins the ACC Rookie of the Week honor. I think it's been given out 12 times, and she's won it nine times. Won it again today. And I think really the only time she didn't win is when the Irish maybe only played one game during the week or didn't play at all. That's the only thing stopping her from winning it every week. It just feels awkward. I hope it isn't one of those, well, don't forget about me type moments where you pass that along to Fox all of a sudden. I I just don't understand how you don't tell your coach. So I'm just here to say Neil was great in handling this all year. I wish it could have been handled a little differently because she didn't deserve that. And this game should have been all about the Irish putting it to the UConn Huskies. But unfortunately, I think a bad decision was made. We got to move on. We will move on. But team comes first. Team, team, team. T-E-A-M. That always has to come first. So, Niel, congratulations That was an awesome, awesome victory by the Fighting Irish at UConn. And I wish all the energy could be on that rather than this little sideshow that happened along the way. 517 at WSBT. NFL Championship Sunday in the NFC. The San Francisco 49ers were in deep trouble at halftime. The Lions had them on the ropes. 
this happened, that happened, a little bit of everything happened, and the Lions end up losing to San Francisco 34-31. to It is so easy, and I get this, to immediately point the finger at Lions head coach Dan Campbell because of decisions that he made in the second half. He had a chance to go up three scores midway through the third quarter by kicking a field goal. And I would imagine over a majority, or should I say a well over majority, of coaches in the NFL would have kicked the field goal there. But Dan Campbell has lived on the edge all year. He's a gambler. At the blackjack table, if he gets 10-7, he's hitting. Trying to get 21. Went for it on fourth down, didn't get it. I'm not saying that changed the game, but it just felt like it kept the door open for San Francisco. You got a chance to go up three scores in a game that would send you to the Super Bowl. I appreciate the fact Dan has done it this way all year. I think that's one of the reasons why Lion fans really like him. His willing to willingness to believe in his players and go for it in situations where other coaches would not. He puts the trust in his players, and unfortunately in that spot it didn't work out. And he passed on another field goal later. So he left six points on the board. If the plays worked, we're probably not having this conversation. We'd be saying, that's just Dan being Dan, and that's why they're in the Super Bowl. It didn't work out. And for those not a part of the Lion fan base, you're just thinking, why are you giving up these points? So that's the easy route to go. Say Dan Campbell was too aggressive. He didn't take points, and it cost him. I do think that is part of the conversation. But Josh Reynolds dropping key fourth and third down passes were just as harmful to this Lions football team. With the lead, deep in your own territory, the outstanding young running back, Jameer Gibbs, puts the football on the ground. 49ers recover it. Bing, bang, boom, touchdown. And then the ball didn't bounce their way. The Gibbs fumble, maybe if it bounces a different way, the Lions recover. The deep ball to Ayuk inside the 10. Bounces off the Lion player's face mask. Ayuk catches it for a 50-yard reception. So it's kind of a combination of everything. A little bit of bad luck. That's not the major story, but that's a tiny part. Reynolds dropping those passes. Gibbs' fumble and the unique way that Dan Campbell handled the second half with the lead. Not kicking field goals, he went for it. And again, it just didn't work out. On paper, the 49ers are the better football team. In the first half, it didn't show. Detroit absolutely ran over San Francisco. That running game destroyed the 49er front. Unfortunately, they could never reestablish the great offensive rhythm they had in the first half over the final two quarters. It was a different game. And the 49er defense shut the door, giving their offense a chance to come back in this football game. And Brock Purdy and that Niner football team took advantage of the opportunities 
and got the lead up to 10 before the Lions had that late fourth down touchdown pass, could not recover the onside kick. Another one that comes to mind, before that touchdown pass on fourth down, the Lions decided to run it from the one-yard line, and when they didn't make it, they lost a couple. They had to use one of their three timeouts, which meant they had to recover the onside kick. If you don't use the timeouts, you don't have to go onside. You can try to let your defense go three and out, get the ball back on a punt, and then hope something happens in a short amount of time. But once you used one of the three timeouts, the other timeouts were worthless. It's like if you use one, you're using all three. So the Lions tried to run the football from the one-yard line. They lost two yards, and that's when they had to use the timeout. And once you use the timeout, you got an onside kick. And only two onside kicks were recovered in the NFL this year. They've changed the rules a couple of years ago for safety, making it more difficult. And the game was pretty much over at that point. Rough coaching day in the second half. Players had missed opportunities and a little bad luck along the way for the Lions. And then there's Kansas City. I'll tell you what. I consider and say I would rather have Andy Reid as my head coach than Bill Belichick. And that's saying something with Belichick's records. Not saying I don't want him, but Andy Reid, his offensive mind is second to none. Hey, Belichick had Lawrence Taylor and Tom Brady. That's two good places to start. And Andy Reid has Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. But this football team was throw the ball deep down the field the last few years, make big plays. This year, the plays weren't there. Drop passes hurt them. They became a different team. Instead of spreading the field with their wide receivers, they went with more hefty packages, two and three tight end sets. Andy Reid saw it wasn't working this year. The offense was broken. But he changed the look of the offense, and now look where they are. Are they explosive like in past years? Absolutely not. But they can grind it out a little bit more. They'll put together those 10-11 play drives rather than two plays, 86 yards, and a touchdown. They'll grind you. They'll use the short passing game. Plus, while the offense was trying to reinvent itself, the defense is the best of the Mahomes era. This is an elite defense. Now, I don't know why in the world Baltimore didn't try to run the football in this game. I know early on the Chiefs were putting extra bodies in the box, but your meat and potatoes is running the football. And to not run it, to lose being a passing football team is a real head-scratcher for me. I thought Lamar Jackson was going to be running the football a lot in this game, like he did against Houston. It didn't happen. They went a totally different direction, and it's just shocking to me how this team, Baltimore, who dominated the competition this year, they didn't just win. They were beating people by double digits all year came into this game and did not really show who they have been all year. By the way, they really attacked the game offensively. It is a head-scratcher. Lamar throwing a lot compared to Lamar running a lot is not going to be a successful day more times than not 
for this Baltimore football team. So their offensive game plan was surprising. The Chiefs gutted it out with their offense, and they're going to another Super Bowl, a chance to win their third with Patrick Mahomes at the helm of the offense. But Andy Reid, if he does retire after this game, what a incredible finish to his career. Had great offenses in Philadelphia. They just didn't win the big one with Donovan McNabb. But how he reinvented this offense on the fly during the season, top-notch stuff. Andy Reid is going to be in Canton in the not-too-distant future. So our Super Bowl in 13 days right here on WSBT Radio. The Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers. Which Notre Dame player will get a ring? Drew Tranquil of the Chiefs, Aaron Banks of the 49ers. That will be our Twitter question of the day in about 30 minutes here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's talk some Irish football coming up with Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated. That conversation is next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Team football coverage continues now. Turns, gives to Price up the middle, easily into the end zone. Touchdown to Darian Price. Jeremiah Love gets the touch around tackle down the sideline, makes a man miss at the 10, and he walks his way into the end zone for a touchdown. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Complete to paint, five, into the end zone, touchdown, Notre Dame. Darian Price inside the five, into the end zone. Excellent run, breaking tackles, 10-yard touchdown run for Jadarian Price. From Sports Radio 960 AM, WSPT. Payne takes the snap, runs up the middle, met with resistance, but gets in. Touchdown to Bron Payne. Inside the five and into the end zone. Well done, Jeremiah Lowe. It is 27 minutes in front of 6 o'clock at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett, joined by the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Read his work at blueandgold.com. Tyler Horka also covers the Notre Dame women's basketball team, and I want to ask him about the massive road victory for Notre Dame over UConn after really stumbling at home just a couple of days prior against Syracuse, a tremendous bounce-back victory for Neil Ivey's team. But we're going to start things off, Tyler, by discussing some football with you. And for those subscribers at blueandgold.com, they know you have started your series reviewing every single Riley Leonard start when he was the quarterback at Duke University. You're offering some great stories and watching Riley develop through all of these starts. So I guess let me begin by asking you, is there something in the early portion of his career as the starting quarterback at Duke that has caught your attention that could be very important for his career at the University of Notre Dame? Yeah, I'll definitely start it with a little disclaimer and saying that I believe right now, and I want to give credit to my colleague, Jack Sobel as well, who's kind of been tag teaming this with me and helping me last year. I just did all of Sam Hartman's 2022 starts. I guess that would have been this, the season before he came to Notre Dame. So that was just like 12 or 13 games. And this year it's 21 games that Riley Leonard started at Duke. So we split that kind of 11 and 10. Uh, so it's a good chunk of, of workload for both of us. And I think we've kind of been noticing the same things uh, at least early in his career. Uh, again, we're about halfway through the 20. 20- 22 season right now so we haven't even gotten to 2023 film 
But um, I, that a lot of people would say that was Riley Leonard's best year, 2022. It's a year that uh, he accounted for all of those yards and all of those touchdowns, stayed healthy the whole way through. And I've kind of seen some concerning things. I'll start with those. Uh, he's got some happy feet, and it leads to some errant passes. So I think the knock on him when you ask NFL draft analysts, because that's his ultimate goal, and at his size and his skill set, he could get there um, You know, as soon as after this one year at Notre Dame, go off to the NFL draft uh, a year from now. His happy feet leads to some accuracy issues, and, and those are the things that those scouts will tell you that uh, he's got a real problem with throwing the ball consistently where he wants to throw it. And then coupled with that, sometimes I've seen him just not throw the ball where it needs to be thrown. I've seen some wide-open receivers, and that's kind of PTSD in the minds of Notre Dame fans because we just went through a season here in South Bend where Sam Hartman probably didn't throw the ball where he needed to at times, and obviously the wide receivers also weren't getting open at times. It was just a mess all around on that front. But you want to get a quarterback – in the saddle, who knows where he's going with the ball, can throw it accurately, precisely. It's the decision-making. I mean, I go back to what Marcus Freeman says all, all the time. Even Tommy Reese, when he was the offensive coordinator for this program uh, for about a handful of years before he went off to Alabama, he always said decision-making. And, and I'll even bring up the late, great Mike Leach. Uh, one of the first things that we asked him when I was a beat writer at Mississippi State, what are you looking for in a quarterback? Because – yeah, well, I'm talking about Mississippi State. This is a program that has had Dak Prescott, and obviously he's a really good quarterback, has done some really good things with the Dallas Cowboys even. But outside of that, it's, it's not a program that's known for quarterback play. So we asked Mike Leach, Mike Leach, what are you looking for in a quarterback? And one of the first things that he said, probably the first thing that he said, was decision-making. So as we continue this Riley Leonard series, I want to see some better decision-making. I expect to see some better decision-making, but I also, Darren, think that it's something that he's going to have to develop in spring ball and fall camp and even into the early part of next year is just knowing where to go with the football and getting it there accurately, precisely, on time, all of those different things. That, that's the challenge for Mike Denbrock in developing this quarterback. That's really good analysis there, and I go back to when Riley Leonard picked Notre Dame, the first thing that I said, this is a kid that has the ability – to make all the throws. He can make them all, but it's the consistency that separates him from other players. And like I said at the time, if he consistently made all the throws, he'd be in the NFL draft this year. So it's not like he's got a long way to go, but you mentioned his footwork is something that led to errant throws. I mean, that is extremely correctable, and I really like the coaching staff in place here to help him to get to a better level of consistency. Yeah, absolutely. And that's Denbrock, who I just mentioned. And it's also Gino Gadulli, who I think is going to be much more comfortable in his role in his second year at Notre Dame. Like I said, there was just a confluence of circumstances with this Notre Dame offense last year that didn't really allow anybody, players and coaches, to reach their full potential. And I'll, I'll even put Jared Parker in on that because I think he was a scapegoat for a lot of the things that we saw last year. And, and he deserves a lot of the blame because he was the guy overseeing the entire operation, but there were just so many different things that kind of led to what we saw last year. But this year you have an experienced guy in Denbrock to oversee everything. Uh, you have Leonard who, like I said, has made 21 starts and I get it. Sam Hartman was a 45 game starter coming in, but I think for some reason, the transition of Leonard from the Duke offense to the Notre Dame offense might be a little bit easier than Hartman from Wake Forest to the Notre Dame offense, just because 
you know, the, the slow mesh isn't a thing that Riley Leonard had to deal with at Duke, and he, he is that pro-style quarterback. We've mentioned the NFL draft a couple of times on here already. He is bound for that at some point. We don't know if Sam Hartman's name is going to get called at all. He might be an undrafted free agent. Whenever Riley Leonard does decide to go, somebody's going to take a chance on him, fourth, fifth, sixth round. And if he plays really well this year, Darren, it could be second, third round. Uh, who knows? Maybe he lights the world on fire. And we're talking about Riley Leonard as a first rounder. That's the kind of potential that he has. So I think he's in the right situation here. I think, you know, Godouli's in the right situation. Mike Denbrock, the re- receivers that Notre Dame has brought in. It could be just a cleaner overall unit in 2024. If he's taken in the first round, that means Notre Dame is playing deep into January. I mean, with the roster they have, if you get that type of quarterback play, Tyler, this football team is set up for some great success. I know things have to fall into place along the offensive line. You still have to build chemistry between Leonard and the wide receiver. So it's not like this is fantasy football. You just write them on a piece of paper and it's all magically going to work because it didn't last year. But with Mm -hmm. the parts in place and you have a quarterback playing at a higher level, to me, this has the makings of an exciting season, especially with the great coordinators you have now in place on both sides of the football. You don't feel like you're going to get beat schematically on the offensive side of the football this year. Yeah, I totally agree. And I have an article that went up, blueandgold.com, today, and it will be in the next edition of our Blue and Gold Illustrated magazine that's coming out in a few weeks. That's one of my biggest storylines. I did five storylines for Notre Dame football in 2024. Uh, number one is just can it all come together for Marcus Freeman? The, and I'm talking about in his first year, it was just the questionable losses. Like you can't lose to Marshall. You can't lose to Stanford. Last year it was not showing up on the road. And specifically to your point, the offense not showing up on the road. Like this year, Darren, I don't think Notre Dame should have those issues. You look at the schedule – Notre Dame's probably going to take care of business against all the teams that it should beat handily on the schedule, just like it did last year. And then you look at the road games. I mean, Texas A&M is going to be difficult in week one, but I expect and do think Notre Dame can win that game. And then I don't really see any other games on the schedule where I'm like, oh, no, the the offense is going to have a real tough time showing up there. Frankly, I didn't think Louisville would be like that, but it was. I did pick Clemson to beat Notre Dame, but that's just because we knew – what Notre Dame was not showing up offensively against Ohio State and then not showing up against Louisville. My whole point is, here, Darren, is the potential for this, this team, it feels greater than last year because I look at the way everything sets up, and I think Notre Dame can, can really compete and or win all of these games. Like 11-1, and one, I thought last year was a pipe dream, even with Sam Hartman, and that turned out to be the case. It was a 9-3 and three football team. If you told me that a, Notre Dame could go 11-1 and one in 2024 – I would actually start believing it, but it all has to come together. Like I said, Marcus Freeman has to avoid some of the mistakes that he's made, and then the offense has to play a lot better too. But if if you told me that the defense this year is going to play as well as it did in 2023, and then the offense starts clicking, starting with the quarterback and everything funneling out around that, then, then, oh, yeah, I mean, this this team can make a 12-team playoff and then make some noise in that playoff. I agree with everything you said. I'm going to add one more thing. Yesterday, watching the Lions game was a subtle reminder that game management can cost you. The Lions didn't lose because of Dan Campbell's game management. There were other things that happened as well. But you think about the Duke game last year. The Irish wanted to settle for the field goal. and estimate should have taken a knee inside the five-yard line. And then the Louisville game, going for it on fourth down with 10 minutes to go and and burning a timeout at a weird spot. 
those type of things can derail all the other great things we're talking about. And this is easily fixed. It comes with experience. But as I was watching the Lions game, I thought about the Duke game. I thought about the Louisville game. I thought about 10 men on the field against Ohio State. There are things that can happen out of the players' control that sometimes can halt some great momentum. Mm -hmm. And you know what I would say to that, Darren, is thank God Marcus Freeman has uh, – I don't know Mike Denbrock's age off the top of my head, but is he around 60 years old? Like, he's been doing this for a yes. long time. And he's, quite frankly, he's worked with Brian Kelly, who's also around 60 years old, for a long time. And that experience from both of those guys, both of those guys being in each other's ears for so long, that builds up some scar tissue, both good and bad. Sure. Right? There's good things that have happened to those guys. There's bad things that have happened to those guys. They've learned from all of that. They've learned much more than Marcus Freeman has. And I think in some of those situations, which, by the way, uh, all of them that you described were on the offensive side of the ball because that's – and Dan Campbell last night, that's where you're making those t types of clock management decisions, go-for-it decisions, those types of things. I think it helps tremendously that Mike Denbrock is on the headset to face those types of situations. He is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. One more question centered around your work you're doing on Riley Leonard right now. I think your most recent piece was a dramatic matchup with Drake May, who might be the number two pick in the draft this spring, the quarterback out of North Carolina, and Riley Leonard almost took him down early in his career. Yeah, absolutely. This was Jacks. So I've, I've actually yet to read okay. it. I need to log on and read it right after this. But it, it's kind of crazy that th this is a game that Robert Leonard has in his back pocket. He can say, yeah, I, I went toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, Drake May, who's, who's going to be a top-five pick in the NFL draft, uh, presumably. And then I think in a couple of games, it, it might be my next one that I've got to do for tomorrow or, or maybe later on this week. Uh, there's a little shootout with one Sam Hartman and the Wake Forest Demon Deacons uh, that, that was also a really high-scoring game, and uh, it, it really came down to quarterback play. And that one, if, if I believe so, I think Duke ended up beating Hartman and Wake Forest in that game. So there's uh, another chip on the table for Riley Leonard right there. But, yeah, just to your point, uh, he's played in some big-time games. That, that was the big uh, selling point for Notre Dame to get Hartman, right, was all, look at all of this experience. And – Riley Leonard comes in with three years under his belt and Sam Hartman had five. So I get it. Sam Hartman was more experienced, but you could do a lot in three seasons. And I think Riley Leonard did. Cause, I mean, for the better part of those three seasons, he was the starter. He was a starter in 2022. And then last year with all the injuries and whatnot, I mean, when he was healthy, he was the starter. So he's got a lot of uh, spades and whatnot. And, and kind of like Hartman as well. He's, He's got some cards that you don't want to lay on the table and you don't want to flip over as well, but that's the quarter that's comes with quarterback play, man. You win some games, you lose some games. Um, and he's definitely won more than he's lost. Tyler Horka, Jack Sobel, their pieces on Riley Leonard. Check them out at blueandgold.com. You cover the Irish women's basketball team. I got to be honest, I wasn't quite sure what we were going to get at UConn after Notre Dame could not beat Syracuse and ended up losing by double digits on their home floor, which I did not have on my bingo card, to be honest with you. So yeah. they go to UConn, yeah. and they put together a great finish to the game and win 82-67. to And let me tell you, Notre Dame has had some great players through the years. Before all is said and done, the freshman right now leading this team she could be the best, Hannah Hidalgo. I think she is going to be the best, Darren. And 
through 19 games of her career, what I keep telling everyone who asks me about this program is I think she's going to be the best player in women's college basketball next season because Clayton Clark is leaving and Caitlin Clark's probably going to be the back-to-back national player of the year. But if you look at some of these national articles from like ESPN and some other outlets to cover women's college basketball, they're mentioning Hannah Hidalgo next. Like it's Clayton Clark and she's doing all these things scoring 40 and hitting all these threes and whatnot, and it's captivating. And then it's Hannah Hidalgo. And, and if Clark wasn't so established, I think it would be Hannah Hidalgo. So what she did in scoring 34 points, a Notre Dame freshman record at Gamble Pavilion. And by the way, I saw a stat that 34 points is the most that any visiting player has scored at UConn in at least the last 15 seasons. And think of all mm. the players and teams that have gone into that place to try to take down that program. And I get it. UConn hasn't won a national title since 2016, and they're not the cream of the crop in college, women's college basketball anymore. It's South Carolina and LSU won the national championship and all those different things. But, I mean, as for as long as Gino Oriema is the head coach of that program, and he, they're still bringing in players like Paige Bukers, I'm sorry, and Aaliyah Edwards and all of these different players, like that, that is still a, a premier program, and it's very hard to go in there and beat that team. And Hannah Hidalgo – quite frankly, mm. made it look kind of easy. Notre Dame goes in there and wins by 15. And like you said, after losing to Syracuse at home by almost the same amount of points, 14 points two nights prior, I did kind of expect Notre Dame to come out with a little fire and, and beat a, quite frankly, a beatable UConn team. That's four losses for UConn now this season. Notre Dame wasn't going to lay down. And here's the stat that told me so. In the last three seasons, Notre Dame has not lost back-to-back games. So wow. after that COVID year, the kind of wonky – season that Neil Ivy had when they went 10 and 10 and missed the NCAA tournament for the first time in forever. In the last three years, Notre Dame has not lost consecutive games. Not one time. They have not lost back to back games one time. And the streak lives on there. And then they did it in the hardest place possible. Uh, Stores Connecticut. Tyler, a head coach has a responsibility to protect their players, anything that's going on within the program. And it's also a player's right to keep information private including injuries. And Neil Ivey, I I said earlier, has been so great this year in handling all the questions about Olivia Miles and all the other injuries, and she's been very consistent. She has not talked about those. And I think that's part of it has to do with that's the players' wishes. So now we find out on the Fox broadcast that Olivia Miles, after Neil's not been able to say anything all year, tells Fox that she's done for the year. And then on a night in which, Tyler, it should be all about Notre Dame beating UConn, she's got to answer in the postgame. Well, Olivia Miles just said she's done for the year. I felt it was a little unfair. I'll just stop there. It should have been all about the Irish with this tremendous victory. What is your take on this whole situation that has been very unclear for a very long time? It's been weird, Darren, and I cover Notre Dame women's basketball as closely as closely as anyone and i'm in these like for example we're going to talk to neil ivy on wednesday before the georgia tech game before they go down to atlanta to play that game that's a weekly thing we talk to neil every week and it's been a weekly thing having to ask her about olivia miles status and every single week from neil because like you said you know she's she's trying to protect her player and those are conversations that are being had behind closed doors as to why but all she can come out and say is you know nothing's changed we're not sure Olivia's doing great. She's, she's in all of her rehab and whatnot. I think, looking back on this, if this is a, a, 
uh, we, we're not sure because we haven't been privy to this information, but if this is a decision that Olivia Miles came to early on, like I'm talking weeks ago, months ago, that she knew that she wasn't going to play this season, she's a very savvy uh, presence in a media uh, press conference type situation. She could have said, you know what, I, I want to face the people who have been asking all these questions and tell them, you know, that I'm, I'm not playing this year and let's just put this to rest. But, and like you said, Darren, let's make this about the 2023-2024 Notre Dame Fighting yes. Irish who are on the floor playing these games because I'm not going to be one of those players. I feel like that could have happened if this was a decision um, that was made a long time ago. But then quite frankly, I also feel like it's something that could have happened as, as late as last week if she's going to go tell Gus Johnson of Fox, hey, yeah, I'm out, this is it, in a can- what sounded like a candid conversation, you know, just kind of spitballing between them, then she could have done the same thing and said, hey, I, I want to tell these media folks who have been asking about me, quite frankly, for weeks and months that, uh, that I'm not going to be playing this year. And I'm not complaining or anything. Like, I'm not saying, oh, I wish that would happen for us. At the end of the day, I still write the story whenever it comes out, but – it was a weird type of situation. And, and honestly, I'm just kind of glad that it's over because now yes. for this final month of the regular yes. season and, th- and then going into March, we can talk more about Hannah Hidalgo and Sonia Citrone and just what Notre Dame has in trying to advance along in the NCAA tournament because finally we know that Olivia Miles is not uh, a part of that group. Well, I'm sure communication occurred between her and Niel and that, it might have been Olivia, Olivia's wishes to keep it all quiet, and so Niel was doing that. But if she's going to tell mm-hmm. Gus Johnson, she's got to go to Coach Ivy. Coach, I just told Gus Johnson this, so yeah. however you want to handle it, please do so. That's where I kind of have a problem. Niel should not be blindsided. By news she probably already knew but wasn't allowed to pass along. That's where it's awkward, and this was a night in which we should be celebrating an Irish win mm-hmm. over UConn and – it kind of got put on the back burner because Olivia telling Gus Johnson this and not informing her head coach. It was a very awkward press conference response when Notre Dame just gets this monumental victory and the head coach basically has nothing else to say, but yeah. no, I have not talked to Olivia about this yet. I'll go talk to her right now and, and see what she says. And then within 30 minutes, Darren, Notre Dame spokesperson uh, is confirming to some of these major outlets that cover Notre Dame on a regular basis. Hey, yeah, that what did happen there on the Fox broadcast, that is true. There, there was just a different way for this news to come out. And, you know, what? You, you, you learn from this. And I will say, you have to start wondering in the era of the transfer portal and what Hannah Hidalgo is doing if Notre Dame is in Olivia Miles' future because – it is. It might be kind of hard for those two guards, ball dominant. Yep. I mean, they are two leaders of uh, basketball teams to kind of coexist. But I will say this from a Notre Dame perspective, though, you absolutely want Olivia Miles to stay in blue and gold because as great as Hannah Hidalgo is, and like I said, I think she's going to be the best player in women's college basketball soon. Olivia Miles was Hannah Hidalgo before Hannah Hidalgo was Hannah Hidalgo. Like that's how good she was the last couple of years. So if you can retain both of those players – uh, you're better for it as a basketball yeah. program, for sure. I just wish the head coach was not put on the spot like that. That didn't need to happen, yep. in my opinion. Yep. All right, what about the Irish going forward, the schedule? I mean, the ACC is kind of a mess right now. It's wide open. Uh, what does it look like coming up for the Irish winning opportunities? Quite a few coming up? Yeah, definitely this week. Um, 
Notre Dame should come out of it with, with two victories and kind of put a little winning streak back together, especially on the ACC side of things, uh, because that's all it is from here on out, 10 regular season games left, which is crazy to think about. But uh, February is this week, and then March is right around the corner. So they should beat Georgia Tech. They should beat Pittsburgh. But then you kind of get into some tough games. You got Louisville uh, on the schedule there. NC State, Florida State's a good team, Virginia Tech at the end of the year. I think, like I said, of these 10 remaining regular season games, four of them are against ranked opponents. You got Louisville twice, and Louisville has been a bit of a bugaboo for Notre Dame, uh, especially the last handful of seasons when, when Notre Dame has you know, been trying to rebuild back to what they were previously. NC State is no slouch, uh, a top five team in the country. I believe they're number five in the most recent AP poll. So uh, the ACC is stacked. There's six ranked teams in this conference right now. Notre Dame is one of them. So you've got your winnable games. Um, the, the bottom of the standings are some teams that you can kind of feast on. But the top, you can't take a night off. Notre Dame's already seen that three times, losing to Syracuse twice and North Carolina on the home floor as well. So you have just got to get up. You've got to bring the same type of energy that Notre Dame brought into Gamble Pavilion the other night to every single ACC game that's against the upper echelon teams. Because if you take one step back and a night off, you will lose that game. So it's gettable. And I think Notre Dame is one of the best teams in the ACC, but they've got to show it when they are playing the other best teams in the ACC, because um, when they don't, they, they can lose those games. Tyler, what would you like to promote at blueandgold.com? Yeah, there's a bunch of Hannah Hidalgo content on there right now. It seems like she's winning every award under the sun or, under the clouds, as we'll say in, in South Bend. I don't think we've seen the sun for uh, a couple weeks now, but she's winning all kinds of awards. I'm right about it. We've got the Riley Leonard series going on. Um, I will plug on three's recruiting rankings. Just uh, were updated today, and Notre Dame has a new five-star in offensive lineman, Gerby Lambert, in the class of 2024. So my colleagues, Mike Singer and uh, Kyle Kelly, are all over that. So basketball, recruiting, uh, football offseason coverage, we've got it all covered at blueandgold.com. He is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He joins me every Monday to talk Notre Dame football, a little women's basketball as well. Tyler, really appreciate your time and your content, and we will talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Darren. Thank you, sir. You bet. Tyler Horka, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. It is three minutes in front of 6 o'clock on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We've reached the top of the hour. We've got our Twitter question of the day results from Friday's program. I asked you on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat, what would be the matchup in Super Bowl 58? Here is the results. Coming in fourth place. I repeat, fourth place, 7% of the vote, 49ers versus Chiefs, our actual matchup in Super Bowl 58. That matchup only got 7% of the vote. Coming in third place, 15% of the tally went toward the Lions versus the Chiefs. It almost feels like that's what it should have been. 
Oh, man, I feel for Lions fans. That is a crusher. Second place in the voting, getting 30% of the vote, the Lions versus the Ravens. Both of those teams did not make it to the ultimate game. And winning the vote, 48% felt like the Super Bowl matchup was going to be the San Francisco 49ers against the Baltimore Ravens, the number one seeds. Heading to Vegas, not so fast. 49ers made it. The Ravens knocked off by the Chiefs 17-10 in Baltimore. We thank you so much for voting. Greatly appreciate it. And along the same lines, today's question. Again, you can find it on my Twitter X account at 960SportsBeat. Which former Notre Dame player is going to win a Super Bowl ring on February the 11th when Super Bowl 58 takes place in Vegas? Your two choices, Chiefs linebacker Drew Tranquil or 49ers offensive guard Aaron Banks. Which one of these two Irish players are going to come home with a Super Bowl championship? Tranquil and the Chiefs, Banks, and the 49ers. You can vote right now on my Twitter X account at 960SportsBeat. And we thank you in advance for voting. Four minutes after 6 o'clock, we have a sports update coming up in a matter of moments. Then we'll kick off the 6 o'clock hour with the top five storylines from the weekend. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. My name is Darren Pritchett on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT South Bend. Football coverage continues now. Now Leonard. Down the sideline. Leonard's got great wheels. Riley Leonard inside the 20. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Leonard has to scramble. And on that ankle just grits his teeth. Look at this run. Leonard gets the pass off. He's got Calhoun. Wow. No way. From Sports Radio 960 AM WSPT. Side run for Leonard. He's able to break a tackle and get the first down and more. Leonard inside the 20, stiff arms a defender inside the 5 and into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Leonard keeps this time. It's like he has butter on his jersey. Highly encourage you to check out my colleague Tyler Horka's segment at blueandgold.com. Jack Sobel also writing articles on this subject, going back and reviewing all of Riley Leonard's starts at Duke, video analysis, good stuff, things to expect from Riley at Notre Dame. Really good series taking place right now at blueandgold.com. 6.16 is our time. My name is Darren Pritchett. We'll talk some more Notre Dame football tomorrow. As we've got another two hours of sports beat coming your way here on WSBT Radio, Allison Hayes from ABC 57 will co-host the program during the 5 o'clock hour, then Wednesday and Thursday. The editor and the publisher at InsideIndieSports.com, Eric Hansen, will co-host the 5 o'clock hour with me on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. 
This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, today's question. The My Five is this. What were my top five storylines for the weekend? Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. And we begin with the Indiana Ball Club. The Indiana Hoosiers going over to Champaign to take on the Fighting Illini of Illinois in Big Ten play. It's been a while since we saw IU. A week of action of no games taking place. Just practice after losing by double digits at Wisconsin. A week later, they're in Champaign to take on Illinois. Indiana got off to a good start, had Illinois on their heels. But when you can't shoot the basketball, it is really, really hard to win, in particular on the road. And Indiana's, I would say, defective roster really showed up in this game against Illinois. Now you had your seven-footer out with an injury. That doesn't help. Ware not playing. One of your best players sitting on the sideline. But the guard recruiting just has to get a whole lot better under Coach Woodson. In this ballgame, Indiana lost to Illinois 70-62, and it really took Illinois surging in the final 90 seconds to win this game. IU had a great shot to steal a victory on the road and sort of reignite their chances to make the NCAA tournament. But it wasn't to be because throughout the game, not just at the end, they couldn't hit shots. For the first time since 2010, what were you doing in 2010? How old were you? For the first time since 2010, Indiana did not make a three-point shot. They were 0 of 9 from the field been a problem since day one of the season the shooting woes continue it did not get any better being 15 feet from the bucket from the free throw line indiana 12 of 22 for 54.5 percent guard xavier johnson really had his struggles at the state farm center johnson two of seven from the free throw line neither team shot free throws well it was A fundamental disaster from the charity stripe. Illinois luckily won the ball game. Now, Malik Renault did all he could. Renault, 8 of 12 from the field, 21 points. The rest of the team was 25 of 54 from the field. Let me take that back. They were 17 of 42 from the field for 40 Indiana outshot Illinois in this game, but Illinois somehow, someway, ended up with the victory. But when you can't shoot from the three-point line and you're breaking even at the free-throw line, just not going to get it done. And another missed opportunity for an Indiana basketball team whose net ranking is right around 100 right now, and they are 0-7 in quad one games this year. That is an NIT resume. Now, they still have, as of right now, four quad one opportunities in Big Ten play. And we all know those quad one, quad two games, they fluctuate depending on the play of the opponents. So there could be more, could be less. We'll have to wait and see. It's not like the Big Ten is loaded with great teams this year. It's Purdue, 
even though Wisconsin is ahead of them in the standings, they're a step behind Purdue. Then you got Illinois and Northwestern. I'm not sure who Michigan State is at this point. But this isn't like the past few years where you got hot for two, three weeks, you bag three or four quad one wins. That's not going to happen in the Big Ten. So Indiana, they cannot waste any more time if they want a shot at March Madness this year. And it all starts with shooting the doggone ball better from the perimeter and the free throw line. Four. Coming in at number four, you doubt the Kansas City Chiefs. They laugh in your face. I've faded the Chiefs myself the last two weeks because this is a flawed football team. But nobody can beat them. Miami went to a cold Kansas City in the wild card round and got smacked, as expected. But the Chiefs were the underdog going to Buffalo in the divisional round. They beat Josh Allen and the Bills. They went to Baltimore as a four-point underdog. In some places, four-and-a-half-point underdog. And what do the Chiefs do? They beat the Ravens to get to another Super Bowl. 17-10, Kansas City. This is not the high-flying Chiefs offensive attack we're used to, throwing bombs to Tyreek Hill. He's in Miami. This is a football team that at midseason could not hang on to the football, could not line up all the times onside on offense. But here they are. When the games matter most, you can't beat them. And Kansas City, not afraid to put two, three tight ends on the field. That is who they are this year. I mean, they got Rasheed Rice and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but they're solid players. Actually, Rice could turn out to be a better-than-average player. Looks like he's developing. But Noah Gray... Justin Watson, and of course, Travis Kelsey. Those three tight ends, they'll put them on the field at the same time. Unthinkable over the past few years they would do that. That's almost becoming a base offense. It helps Isaiah Pacheco on the run game. 24 carries, 68 yards. Not great, but Baltimore really good up front. But it was just enough to help Patrick Mahomes in the passing game. And against this great defense, and boy, was Kyle Hamilton everywhere. The former Notre Dame safety, it seemed like he made every play for the Ravens defense. It was like there were three or four Kyle Hamiltons running around. But there were not enough Kyle Hamiltons because Patrick Mahomes went 30 of 39 for 241 yards and a touchdown. He's not putting up numbers that you would post playing Madden football on novice level. Those days are kind of gone right now. They're winning in a different way, and it doesn't hurt that they have the best defense in the Patrick Mahomes era to offset how they've changed things offensively. While the offense was changing, the defense kept them in games. They have not given up more than 27 points in a game this year. Now, I'll say this. I have no clue why Baltimore didn't want to run the football in this game. They ran it 16 times. Not all of those are planned. Some of those are Jackson scrambles. How you don't let him have the opportunity to run the football is shocking. That's why I thought the Ravens would win. They would run it down Kansas City's throat, but they decided to become a passing team. And Lamar went 20 of 37 for 272, a touchdown, a pick. And what they have, 
Two turnovers in the red zone. That's not winning football. I get trying to change who you are to throw the other team off, but not establishing the run was just unbelievable. Gus Edwards, three carries, 20 yards. Had a 15-yard run early in that ballgame on that touchdown drive where they put up points and tied the game, and they never went back to him. Justice Hill, three carries in the ballgame. He was more of a factor. They targeted him seven times coming out of the backfield, catching four. It was just a very, very odd way of doing things offensively for Baltimore, who dominated the competition during the regular season, beating, it seemed like, everybody by double digits. But not in this case. Kansas City, 17 Baltimore, 10, the number one seeds in the AFC are gone. And Kansas City trying to win a Super Bowl in a different way. And just shows you the excellence of their head coach, Andy Reid, adapting to the talent he's got at his disposal. Our third headline of the weekend. The heartbreak of the Detroit Lions fan base. I don't know what I can say to you. Really can't say much other than your team should have won the game. On paper, they're not the better team. But for the first half, they dominated the number one seat in the NFC in their building. They ran all over San Francisco. Gibbs and Montgomery, the two-headed monster. But it kind of went away in the second half as did some questionable coaching decisions, not kicking field goals. Dan Campbell is a go-for-it guy. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Josh Reynolds dropped passes. Jameer Gibbs, the fumble. Just so much happened in that eight-minute run where the Niners were down a couple of scores, and all of a sudden they were ahead. I mean, they got up by 10 after trailing 24-7 at halftime. It sure felt like Detroit would be able to keep that Offense rolling in the second half. They made mistakes. Campbell went with his gut like he's done all year. It just didn't work out this time. It feels like the Lions should be in the Super Bowl, but the Honolulu Blue back home with a crushing 34-31 defeat. Rookie Sam Laporta, once again a monster, 9 for 97 in the passing game. Amon Ross St. Brown, 7 for 87. Jamison Williams had the receiving touchdown and the rushing touchdown, which sparked the Lions early in the ballgame. Jared Goff was okay, 25 of 41 for 273. Just too many mistakes and just the avalanche of things happening in eight minutes. The Lions just could not recover. And then you get to the one, you try to run it, you get stuffed, you got to burn one of your timeouts, and that meant you had to onside kick and recover it. Once you use one timeout, basically you used all three, and that was another questionable decision by that Lion coaching staff. Niners somehow, someway got it done. They win 34-31. to Number two. Second headline, the Irish fall short again to Boston College, and Micah Shrewsbury sat Marcus Burton for a little bit. Marcus only played 31 minutes in the game, five turnovers, a handful early in the second half, sent him to the sideline. He's got 13 turnovers the last two games, but he still finished with 10 points and seven assists, five of 10 shooting from the field. Plus, we were all curious to see the players who fell out of that six-man doing things the right way for playing time group against Miami. 
Would they play in this game against BC? Would they play significant minutes? Well, Kemba Jai, 25 minutes, four points, three rebounds. He got back in the good races. You had Kerry Booth, 14 minutes, no points, three rebounds. Matt Zona, 11 minutes, three points, three rebounds. Irish could not get it done, unfortunately, falling at home to BC, 61-58. And the number one headline of the weekend, twofold Irish women stun Connecticut, 82-67. And just as stunning, Olivia Miles tells Fox that she's not playing this year with that knee injury. After Neil Ivy has spent the year covering first, saying no updates. Olivia tells Fox, doesn't tell Neil. Neil gets asked in the postgame. She's like, let me go talk to Olivia. Just a really unfortunate moment on a great night for Irish women's basketball. And the whole country seeing, my goodness, Hannah Hidalgo at her best with those 34 points. She is incredible. Those are my five headlines from the weekend. 6.30 is our time. Sportsbeat continues next on WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday Sportsbeat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now. Back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 6.37 at WSBT. Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. And by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. We have high school boys basketball action coming up tonight on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. Brian Miller from the K will have the call of the non-conference game. Featuring the South Bend Clay Colonials out of the NIC and the Mishawaka Cavemen out of the NLC. Pre-game probably will start right around 7:15-7:20 on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. Each Friday, I update my area boys basketball rankings. We just take NIC and NLC teams and rank them from eight to one. And we're at this point of the season where it's really hard to get a feel. Who's better than who? Because all these teams are just beating up on each other right now. Let's take a look at my rankings from last week and what happened on Friday. I moved Mishawaka Marion into my top eight. They knocked South Bend Washington out of the top eight. And I guess that was validated because later that night, Marion crushed South Bend Washington 73-48. Watch out for Rob Berger's team. They always get better as the season goes on. They're up to 8-8. Eight and eight. They've won three in a row. Mishawaka was my number seven team. They moved to 9-4 with an uneven win over Goshen 50-44. They jumped out of the gate leading 15-3. They went with an 11-man rotation. It got close. Goshen pulled it within one. A late surge by Mishawaka. They won 50-44. to 
At number six, it's Northridge. They are a team that picked up a win over Plymouth, 79-63. They've won two in a row to get to 12-4. This is a team that's beaten Riley, Washington, and Mishawaka. They've lost to Warsaw, Penn, and Northwood. At number five, I had Northwood. Northwood, the defending state champs, are now 10-5. They lost a nail-biter to Warsaw Friday night, 35-34. So Northwood, 10-5. They've still won six of their last eight. I had Warsaw at number four going into that game, and they escaped with a one-point win over Northwood. Then they beat Elkhart on Saturday in a tight game. Warsaw's won eight of nine. They're now 11-3. They've beaten Washington and Penn and Northwood already this year. Going into Friday, I had Penn at number three. The Kingsmen are now 11-4. They beat Riley Friday night. 66-54, 66-54, a massive win for the Kingsmen to put them right in the mix for the NIC title along with South Bend Riley and Marion. Penn then held off Goshen Saturday night to pick up another win. I had Concord number two on Friday. Well, their winning streak is up to seven in a row. The men and men are now 13-2. They disposed of Wawasee Friday night, 49-39. And I think they have a strong argument to be number one when I reset the rankings on Friday. But are they the number one team? Or is it still South Bend Riley, who lost for just the fourth time this year? They played a really good schedule. Riley is now 15-4. and four. They were knocked off by the Penn Kingsmen at the Penn Palace Friday night, 66-54. to 54. That shows you how good of a defensive club Penn is when you hold Riley to 54. That's a team that can score 70, 80 points very easily. Really the one team in the area that consistently can score and can score from a lot of different areas. Otherwise, there's a lot of teams really struggling to consistently score. We've seen a lot of those 35, 34, 50, 44 type games this year so right now it's hard to say who the best team in the area is there are a couple of candidates Riley Concord Penn Warsaw's beaten Penn going from one to eight is very very difficult right now all right Mishawaka Clay on 96 won the ton in about a half an hour a break then we'll come back with our sports wagering conversation Budweiser's weekday sports beat On your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure off-site backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. 